Hello and welcome to My Chaotic Mind, the podcast dealing with the everyday difficulties of balancing adult life and eating disorder recovery. My name is Kaz and I shall be your host in this little corner of the podcasting world. It's important to mention I have no background or training in medicine, nutrition or psychology. I simply have my own very many years of lived experience. That said, if you're sitting comfortably, it's time to come with me through the looking glass. Hello and thank you for joining me today, whether you are a first-time listener or you've been with me from the start. Following on from last week's episode in which I discussed finding out who you are without your eating disorder, today I would like to focus on friendships and relationships when you have an eating disorder. And I want to look at it both as someone with an eating disorder, but also in the hope that some of what I say may help family members and friends of those with eating disorders to perhaps have a better understanding of why someone may behave or react in certain ways. It's important to remember that an eating disorder is a mental illness. In series one, I briefly touched on the topic of the all-in method of recovery. It focuses very much on the highly important aspect of physical recovery, but alongside that, you need to do mental work as well, whether that be finding the right kind of therapy to help you work through the things that you are using your eating disorder to cope with, or whether it just be learning new healthy ways to cope with things that life throws at you. Not everyone who has an eating disorder will need to undergo therapy in order to fully recover, but for everyone there will be some aspects of mental work that need to be done. To anyone who feels they regret recovery, I would ask you to think about whether or not you have actually gone through the full recovery process or are you just in a physically healthier body but with a lot of the mental work still to be done because I think this is a situation a lot of people can find themselves in. If you haven't worked on both the physical and mental sides of your eating disorder you won't reach full recovery. I'm bringing this topic up because I think for a lot of people who don't have eating disorders and perhaps don't have a lot of knowledge or understanding around them, they may see somebody has physically improved and be less tolerant to the emotional and mental effects of that eating disorder by which I mean they may not have the same patience for somebody struggling 
mentally or emotionally that they might have had when that person was more physically unwell. You'll notice perhaps that I am not saying anything about being underweight and that's because I'm talking about all eating disorders and not every eating disorder manifests in drastic changes in body shape or size. I would even go as far as to say that somebody's mental and emotional struggles may actually be worse in a physically better body because they are no longer employing the coping methods they used to. All eating disorders thrive on isolation and certainly in the case of anorexia, routine. So any kind of spontaneity goes right out the window. As humans, so many of our social occasions revolve around food and or drink. And if food is the one thing you are unable to cope with, it makes socialising extremely challenging, regardless of where you happen to be in your eating disorder journey. It's the secretive nature of eating disorders which allow them to really take hold. So if you are at a social occasion with food and you are trying to hide the fact you have an eating disorder, this presents you with a huge problem. Similarly, if people know you have an eating disorder or you are in recovery from an eating disorder, you may feel, rightly or wrongly, that you are being observed and what you are or are not having is being noticed. There may also be well-meaning people putting pressure on you to have certain things. And even if you're not going to be eating or drinking at the event, just being around food can be torturous. All of these factors can mean that socialising just feels completely overwhelming and the easiest thing to do is just stop doing it completely. And that is exactly what I did for a long number of years. Many people who are struggling with an eating disorder are also experiencing low self-esteem and low self-confidence. And these are two things which can really impact on someone's ability to go out and socialise. I would say I am a fairly confident person nowadays and I'm in recovery, but even I have days where I have such low self-esteem and confidence. I question whether or not I should even continue with this podcast because I think, is it really any good? Are people really listening to it? But I do keep doing it because <laughs> I know people are listening to it. And I also know that it's just the self-doubt created by my eating disorder. And I'm not talking here about the self-doubt that I think everyone experiences from time to time. When I say days, I'm talking periods of consecutive days when I just feel I can't do or say anything right and that people don't like me and all of these kinds of negative thoughts. 
it's extremely hard to socialise when you have this paranoid narrative constantly running through your brain. Many people with eating disorders, including myself, have this constant paranoia undermining every single action. I was constantly questioning whether I should have said this or done that differently. And I even wondered if people really liked me or wanted to be around me because I hated myself so much. And these are all barriers to socialising. The good news is that with a lot of time and a lot of patience and an awful lot of hard work, you can improve this. Whilst it's really difficult to be around someone if you are constantly asking yourself whether they genuinely want to spend time with you or are they doing it from a sense of obligation or just to be polite, it's probably equally and maybe even more exhausting for that person if they feel they need to give constant reassurance that they do like you and they do want to spend time with you. It makes a friendship that should be easy and comfortable into something difficult and tense. And that is all down to the way in which the eating disorder twists our thinking. And that can be a really difficult knot to undo. All this combines to make it very difficult to meet new people and make new friends. And it can make it very difficult even to maintain the friendships we already have. When you are malnourished, and please note again, I'm not saying underweight because you don't have to be underweight to be malnourished. That can happen at any weight. It causes changes in your cognitive abilities. People in the grips of an eating disorder may seem disengaged. This can be due to a lack of energy and brain fog resulting from poor nutrition. It makes conversations very difficult to hold and to follow. But also, when you are malnourished, part of your brain is constantly thinking about food. And when you have an eating disorder, that might be about when you're next going to eat, what you're next going to eat, how to avoid food, your next binge. This constant preoccupation with food means that your brain is never going to be fully focused, giving your undivided attention to anyone or anything else. People could misinterpret this as you being uninterested or aloof. The thing about an eating disorder, anorexia, is that it numbs and dulls everything. Not only your feelings and your interactions with the world, but your personality. The person I am without the illness is a fully rounded, vibrant person. The version of me 
with anorexia is an empty, lifeless shell. There was a clear point in my recovery journey where I realised my personality had come back and the real me had emerged. And even though I'm still unwell and I'm still progressing along towards recovery, I've got me back and I do not want to lose her again. This change in personality can really cause friendships to suffer because the person you are without the illness is the person your friends were drawn to. And once that person disappears, it takes a lot of effort to try and keep the friendships going, especially if nobody knows when or if that person is ever going to re-emerge. I completely lost interest in all the activities I had previously enjoyed. My friends were having relationships, going out, starting families, going on holidays, doing all these things, and I wasn't doing any of it. We didn't have anything in common anymore. And without a lot of work and effort on both sides, that can cause friendships to just drift apart. We've all had that excruciatingly awkward encounter at a work night out or even worse, on a first date, when you're trying to make small talk with someone and the two of you have pretty much nothing in common. If you're someone who's struggled with an eating disorder for a long number of years, and especially if you're somebody who has had multiple inpatient admissions, the chances are you have a significant number of friends who also have eating disorders. And that's perfectly normal because you can relate to one another. You share the same fears and struggles and challenges. But as you begin to recover, or as they begin to recover and you remain ill, those friendships may begin to fracture and fall apart. If an eating disorder is the glue that is holding your friendship together, then it's highly likely that recovery will cause it to disintegrate. If you're the person who remains ill, then you may start blaming yourself for the loss of this friend, thinking that there's something you've done wrong or that you haven't tried hard enough, when in reality, it's simply that the person who is recovering is moving away from reminders of the illness and from anything that could potentially drag them back to that. Sometimes relationships just fizzle out and it's nobody's fault. The thing is, when I was in the grips of my eating disorder, I was aware my personality had changed a bit. I had absolutely no comprehension of the extent of that change until I started coming out of it. It's only with hindsight now I can see exactly what that illness took away from me. I have friends with eating disorders 
and I've watched them change slowly as the illness gets a stronger and tighter hold on them. And I have watched it smothering their natural personality. And I've seen how completely unaware of just how much the illness controls them they are. Some of them have come out of it and some of them have not. And some of them, I don't know yet which way it's going to go. It's only now I am beginning to get some sort of comprehension of what it must have been like for my family and friends to watch anorexia squeezing the life out of me. It's really hard and horrible to watch somebody you love and care about declining, especially when you cannot help them. And if you've got a lot of other things going on in your own life, then it can just be the straw that broke the camel's back. I have friends who told me, Kaz, we love you, but we cannot cope with your illness. We can't cope with hearing the details of it and we can't cope with watching you go through it. I'm not going to hold something like that against anybody. It's not me they don't like. It's not me they can't cope with. It's my illness. And I have to respect that. I cannot blame anyone for not wanting to be around me at my very worst. And in fact, there were people that wanted to see me, but I didn't want them to see me because keeping up a conversation was just so difficult. I was so exhausted. I was always cold. I I just did not have the focus. And I would start a sentence and forget halfway through what I was even saying. I was no fun whatsoever. Who would want to come and spend time with somebody sitting there, miserable, cold, barely speaking? And whenever I did spend time with people, there was always a time limit on it. I was always clock watching because I had my routines. Anorexia had its set timings for everything and I had to obey them or at least I chose to obey them. At the expense of my friendships, I put anorexia before and above everything and everyone else, including myself. And as long as someone is doing that, it makes it really, really difficult for anyone else to compete, especially if you don't even realise that's what you're doing. Friends would invite me to things and I would decline and eventually they stopped asking me and you can't expect somebody to keep asking you if they're pretty sure you're just going to say no anyway. Most people are not so tenacious that they will keep banging their heads against a brick wall. I'm lucky. I have an incredible 
incredible friendship group. And when I was ready, I reached out to them and they welcomed me back with open arms. And that is so amazing because I know not everyone is as lucky as me in that respect. But it was me who reached out to them first. I didn't sit back and wait for them to get in touch with me. They might not have done because for so many years they'd been trying and the real me had been unreachable. I made the effort to rekindle those friendships and luckily they've been willing to make the same effort in return because any relationship takes work on both sides and if one party isn't just as invested as the other it's not going to be a balanced friendship and that's when relationships can end up breaking down I'm certainly not an expert on relationships. And whilst things are good with my friendships, I did say in series one, I would love to be a wife and a mother. But I'm not putting myself out there in the dating world. And the reason for that is that I am scared. I cannot imagine a man taking on me and all my baggage I think any man that I start to develop feelings for is probably going to run a mile. And I know that I'm being really unfair to men because I'm not even giving them a chance. But that's how I feel. And maybe that'll change. Hopefully that'll change. But, you know, I'm 41 and... Time is not on my side. So, you know, if you're a single guy or you know a single guy out there who could take me on, contact details will be at the end of the podcast. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, for years, my outpatient team have been wanting me to engage with the world and engage with life more. And I have consistently refused to do so. And in my case... It was never that I didn't have friends I could go to or I didn't have hobbies or activities that I could do. I was not ready to do them. And when I made the decision I was ready, I went right back out there. I had to make the effort and it was terrifying because... As I said earlier in this episode, eating disorders just chip away your self-esteem and self-confidence. So having to put yourself back out into the world, it's really not an easy thing to do. But, oh, it was so, so worth it. I was doing things at my own pace and in my own time. What I'm about to say next may be somewhat controversial, but it's something I know an awful lot of people with eating disorders struggle with. And this message is for 
family members of people with eating disorders. It will by no means be applicable to all. But if any part of what I say rings true for you, then maybe it's worth taking a closer look. Quite often, people with eating disorders can be pressured into attending family events. I'm sure you wouldn't expect a family member with a broken leg to go on a five mile hike with said broken leg. So why on earth would you expect someone with an eating disorder to be able to sit down and eat a lavish dinner? If you are effectively forcing someone with an eating disorder to sit down and eat a meal that they are not going to be able to cope with, that you know is likely to cause them to then go on to binge and or purge, you are enabling them. You cannot pretend their eating disorder does not exist. They are not doing this to be awkward. Whilst you cannot let somebody's eating disorder dominate your own lives, you also can't pretend that it isn't there. You need to be able to compromise. An example I can give is the wedding of a very close family member. I wanted to go, but I was terrified of the meal. That family member allowed me to choose what I felt I would be able to eat. And even though it meant I was having a completely different meal to everyone else there, it enabled me to go and be part of the celebration and really enjoy it. And that's what you can do for your family member. Compromise on finding a meal they can cope with, even if it's not exactly what everyone else is having. And if it's not going out to a restaurant, if it's a home-cooked meal, even let them cook it if you don't want to do it. But let them have something they at least have a chance of being able to manage without too much distress because that will give them the confidence to do it again and again. And it will make them feel part of the family and not an outsider. You may think that by forcing them to join in, you are making them feel included, but you're not. You're just making the situation even more difficult for them compromising and just having a discussion beforehand about timings and food and all of that could mean the difference between a relaxed, enjoyable family get-together and a tense, awkward atmosphere that you could cut with a knife. Somebody with an eating disorder may not have the physical or mental energy to stay for the full duration of whatever event it is. And if they do need to leave early, then let them. It's not a snub at anyone. At least they'll have been there for some of it. This isn't a choice. It's an illness and it needs to be treated as such. But equally, don't assume that because they always decline something, they're going to decline it every time. Give them the choice because in most cases, it will be very much appreciated. 
If you're somebody with an eating disorder and what I've said sounds like your family situation, then I would urge you to ask your family to listen to this if it's not something you feel you can bring up with them yourself. Most people will want to help you in whatever way they can and they may just not know how to do that. They may need some guidance from you. Now that my didactic moment is out the way, I'm going to hand over to a message from a listener to close out this episode. But just before I do, I'd like to dedicate this to Alan, Lynn, Alexa and Louise. And to all you listeners, I hope you'll come back for the next episode. It's refreshing to hear about struggles from someone over 40 that has suffered with an eating disorder for many years. It's made me feel much less alone. Thank you for listening to this episode of my chaotic mind if you have enjoyed it it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to rate review and share it with your friends it's the only way to let the world know this podcast exists if you want to get in touch you can find me on instagram at edpodcast or you can send an email to edpodcast at gmail.com I do hope that you will join me for the next episode, but until then, take care. Bye.